But one of the biggest questions we face is that if Jesus gives us the good life, then why doesn't our life feel that good all the time? Can I get an amen? Amen. No? Did I force that one out of you? (laughs) But why, if if Jesus came to give us the good life, then why doesn't our life feel that good all the time? Why is it that there always seems to be something in our life that is keeping us from the full life that we long for? For you, it may be the circumstances that you live in that are keeping you from the good life you want for yourself. For you, it may feel like the amount of stress that you feel or the job that you have or that you don't have or the health condition that you have that is anything but good. But if there's one thing, there's one thing that I think we all share that can get in the way of the good life our hearts long for. You know what I think it is? It's people. People, can I get an amen? (laughs) People can get in the way of the joy and the satisfaction that you wish you had. We have a word for these kinds of people. The word? Enemies. I'm going to ask you to do something. Everyone say enemies. Enemies. There you go. It's the last thing I'll ask you to do. Maybe one more, actually. But uh, today we're talking about enemies. Why are we talking about them is, is because you have them. Maybe you're thinking, enemies, I don't have any enemies. I'm not that kind of person. But you do. Maybe you don't even know it. So let's make sure we know what an enemy is. An enemy is anyone who is opposed to you. So anyone who is opposed to you. So an enemy could be anyone who gets in your way. You have anyone like that in your life? Anyone, an enemy is anyone who makes your life harder, who takes something from you, or who thinks less of you. Now, I don't think I need to, I don't think you have to think too far to find some of those people in your life, but let me help you. (laughs) Uh, Is there anyone in your extended family who is making your life harder? Is there anyone in your workplace who is opposed to you? Is there anyone uh, you used to be friends with or you used to be married to who thinks less of you? Is there anyone in your class, anyone in your school, anyone that drives the roads of Kansas City? (laughs) Is there anyone, here it is, you know who's coming, is there anyone on your social media feed? Because we live in a time when an enemy isn't just one person, it can be an entire group of people, and they don't have to argue with you, they just have to think different than you for us to consider them an enemy. There is someone that we think, if they weren't in my life, then my life would be so much better. So who is that for you? In fact, take a second and just think about that. Maybe write it down. Maybe just kind of say their name in your mind. It's okay. And hold on to that that person as we're learning from God through his word today. See, Jesus has something to say to us about enemies. Here's what he wants us to know today is that your enemies can't keep you from the good life, but the way you treat them can. Your enemies, the people in your life who are opposed to you, they can't get in the way of the good life that Jesus came to offer you, but the way that you think about them, the way that you treat them can actually keep you from experiencing that full abundant life that Jesus came to give you. Jesus would tell us, of course you have enemies. Jesus had people who were opposed to him. Jesus had people who got in his way, who thought less of him. So don't be surprised. Don't be discouraged if you have enemies in your life. But also, don't 
think that your enemies have the power to get in the way of the full and good life that Jesus came to give you. But what you do with your enemies can. It can keep you from the good life that Jesus offers you. Here's how Jesus talks about this. We're going to be in Luke 6 most of the time today, where Luke offer, or, uh, where Luke uh, records this teaching of Jesus. Jesus says, but to those of you who are listening, implying there were some that weren't, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. So what do we do with our enemies? What does Jesus say to do to, with our enemies? He says to love them. Now, there be, may be nothing harder And all of Jesus' teaching that he asks of us than to love our enemies. That, in fact, it's so easy, because of that, because this is such a hard thing to do, it's easy for us to ignore it. It's easy for us to misunderstand this. It's easy for us to say, Jesus, I don't think you know what you're talking about. If someone backhand slaps me or rips my coat off, back like the Roman soldiers, this is a very frequent occurrence, but the Roman soldiers, if, if you didn't do what they wanted you to do, they could just backhand slap you. There are the tax collectors. If you weren't paying the, the, the astronomical, insane uh, taxes that they were charging you that weren't right in any sort of way, they could just rip the clothes right off your back. Now, if someone were to do something like that to you and me, we're probably not going to be that happy about it, are we? Now, fortunately, that kind of stuff doesn't happen so much in our life, but other things do. People may say things about you. They may do things to you behind your back. You get cut off in traffic or even run into. Now, I have never been one to think that I have enemies. I'm a pastor. (laughs) I love everybody. Uh, But here's what I've learned. If you want a fast track to being my enemy, just mess with my kids. So um, over spring break this year, my family, we love camping. We have an old pop-up tent camper. It's not fancy by any means. We cram all six of us into this camper. We pull it all over the country wherever we can, when we can. And so over uh, spring break, we decided to go uh, enjoy the the beaches of Alabama, which were cold and windy. but we go down there, and we're camping in the state park down there, and we're having a great time. And about halfway through the week, now, if you've ever been in a campground, you know, it's literally just a, a driveway, you know, just, you know, about 20 feet. There's a new campsite every 20 feet. And about halfway through our week, there, uh, we get some new neighbors next to us. And this, this older couple from Georgia pulls in, and they are pulling this amazing fifth wheel RV. Like, it's, it's, it's probably about $100,000 you know, at least, that they back into the, it, it makes our tent camper look not so fancy. <laughs> and they back into this site, he's pulling it with his Ford F-250 diesel engine, dually, I mean, it's just, it's, I mean, it's just, everything's beautiful, it's just, you know, they're living the good life, you could say. And uh, one day, my boys are out in our campsite, and they're just throwing the Frisbee back and forth, this little Frisbee we got from the, from the pharmacy, because it was too windy on the beach, so we just thought we'd throw it around on the campsite. And, and sure enough, the Frisbee goes off the campsite and happens to hit the, the truck, the wheel of the truck of this, this guy right next to us. 
Now, I'm in the camper cleaning, picking up some stuff, but I hear that something's kind of going on, but I'm not really sure what it is. Well, it turns out this, this guy who, who owns this, this fifth-wheel camper and this truck comes over to our campsite and has some words with my boys. And, uh, and then my wife, who, who heard about this, she, she kind of walks out, and she tries to apologize for them, and, and this guy brushes her off and walks back to his campsite. I have caught enough of this conversation right now for Papa Bear to swing open the camper door and step down to assess the situation. I can see my boys are not very happy. I can see my wife's a little bewildered and kind of startled by what happened. I get a little bit of the situation from them. And my wife sees a look in my eyes and she says, babe, don't do it. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, it, it, it's okay, it's okay. And she said, <laughs> she said remember, you're a pastor. <laughs> this, is, this has happened before. So I walk over and I find the guy on the other side of his camper and I come, I come in very kind and I say, hey, I understand my boy's Frisbee made its way over to your campsite and hit your truck. Is that right? And he says, yes, yes, it did. Everything's fine. No worries. And I'm like, well, I understand that the Frisbee hit your truck. Is, was there any damage that was done? He said, no, no, there's, there's no damage. Every, you know, I, I checked it. There's no scratches or anything. And I said, well, that, that's good because I would want to make sure that this plastic 160 gram Frisbee didn't do any damage to your nice Ford F-250. Truck. He said, What? I said, Well, it said it hit your wheel. You got some good one inch tread on those wheels. I want to make sure that rubber's still on good tack, you know. And he starts looking at me. He's like, Now hold on now. I don't mind them throwing the frisbee. I just didn't drive all the way down from Georgia to have a bunch of kids in their frisbees be hitting my stuff all week. And at this moment, you know those hairs that are like. <laughs> They've been popping for a while. And I was like, look, I understand that. And I didn't drive my family all the way down here to spend spring break having my kids get yelled at by some old guy on the campsite next to us. Yeah. And he said, well, right about now is the time when you can just leave this campsite. That's the best thing you can do. And I probably should have. But I remember my wife talking to me about how I was a pastor. And I felt like there was something this guy might need to learn. So I said, you're from, <laughs> I said, you're from Georgia, right? He says, yeah. I'm like, so you probably go to church. <laughs> He's like, because I'm from Georgia? I was like, yeah, don't most people who drive trucks in Georgia go to church? <laughs> I said, you, you heard a lot of sermons back in your day, you know, you know, along the years. He's like, yes, I'm a Christian. I, I, I go to church. And I'm like, well, then you know that if you're a Christian, you're probably going to heaven, which only happens if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. So I hope he's your Lord and Savior and you're going to heaven because uh, that's how this works. But you know what's not going to heaven is your truck. <laughs> and as much as you love your truck and you want to keep your truck protected from the dangers of this world, I guarantee you I love my kids a lot more and I'm going to protect them from anything that gets in their way. So I'll go to my campsite. You stay on yours. I walk back to our campsite, my wife looks at me and she says, how did that go? And I was like, you know, I thought it went pretty good. <laughs> and in all honesty, I wish I could say the conversation played out just as cleanly and uh, clearly and that I said everything just as succinctly as I did right now recounting that story, but that's not the truth. I fumbled my words, I was confused, I was on edge. I was feeling all sorts of things. I didn't know how to say things, didn't know how to talk to this guy. I knew I was making mistakes as I was doing it. And she looked at me and she said, you know what, your kids are going to remember that you stood up for them. But was your, were you doing that for your kids? I was like, ouch. She's like, or were you doing that for you? 
Were you doing that because there was something in you that got rubbed and you needed to make it right? It's like she knows me or something. (laughs) And I share this story because this incident taught me a couple of things. One, it taught me how easy it is to make enemies. You see, all it takes is one action for us to make an enemy. Any tombstone lovers out there? The movie, not the pizza. (laughs) Tombstone fans? So we are like Doc Holliday, meeting Johnny Ringo at the poker table for the first time, trying to decide if we hate him or not. Nope. I'm sure of it. I hate him. That's what, that's what Doc Holliday says to Johnny. And that's kind of how we go about this life, encountering people and trying to decide if we're going to hate him or not. So for me, I see this guy pull up in this fancy fifth wheel, and I'm trying to decide all week if I'm going to hate him or not, and all it takes is one moment for me to decide that. It just took one of his words to my kids, and I spent the rest of the week hating this guy. Here's the other thing I learned. As much as I wanted to believe that it was the guy that was making my life harder, it wasn't. It was the way I was thinking about him. See, I spent the whole rest of the week ruminating on my conversation with this guy. I was thinking of all the things I said to him and what I wished I had said, of all the things I wanted to do to him in his campsite, laying awake at night thinking of what I would do, what I would say to him if I ran into him again. Before we were leaving, I asked my wife if I could please just leave the parting gift on the front of his truck, which would have been a Frisbee that said, stay off my campsite. (laughs) She told me that probably wasn't a good idea, so I listened to her that time. But you see, this guy wasn't my problem. This guy wasn't in my way. My problem was the way I was thinking about him. This is what Jesus tells us. Your enemies can't keep you from the good life that he offers you, but the way we treat them can. So when we hear Jesus' teaching to love your enemies, there's kind of two big questions that we have here. The first is how. How are we supposed to love our enemies? And the second is why. And Jesus gives us answers to both of these in this teaching. Let's take the first one here. How. How are we supposed to love our enemies? How do we do this? And in these verses, he gives us six statements, kind of an instruction guide, a list of things that we do to love our enemies. He says, first of all, do good to those who hate you. Do good to them, not evil. He says, bless those who curse you. Don't take revenge on them. Bless them. Return curses and hurt and hate with blessings. Seek their best, not their worst. Pray. For those who mistreat you, when you don't know what to do, pray. Don't pray against them. (laughs) Pray for them. Pray for their best. Pray for their own good. He says, turn the other cheek. Give more than they take of you. And do to them as you would have them do to you, which we know of as the golden rule. Do to them as you would have them do to you. But we much prefer to do to them as they've done to us. Andy Stanley calls that the iron rule. We much prefer the iron rule, to do as it has been done. But Jesus tells us the golden rule, do as you would have them do. That's quite the list here, isn't it? And it's, 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 we can't help but read this and think, Jesus, it sounds like, let's be honest, it sounds like you're telling us just to kind of roll over, <laughs> just to be a punching bag or a doormat for our enemies. But that's not at all what Jesus is teaching. Jesus is not saying that you should be okay with being walked all over by those who hate you. But he is saying that our response is not what comes naturally to us, which is usually to get back at that person. You strike me, I strike back. You take my code and I take yours. You yell at my kids, I curse your truck. This is our way of life. Love, 
your enemies. Don't hate them. Jesus makes this really clear in Matthew's gospel, where Matthew records this teaching. He includes some extra parts of it. And in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says it like this. You have heard that it was said, love your enemy, I'm sorry, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies. He says, you have heard that it was said to hate your enemy. Now, where would the people Jesus was talking to have have heard that this was being said? Well, back in the Old Testament in Leviticus 19, it says to love your neighbors. It doesn't say anything about what to do with your enemies. So as the, as the rabbis, as the religious teachers would teach this, <clears throat> this passage back in Leviticus, they would kind of interpret this passage to mean, well, if God is telling us to love our neighbors, then it only should, should seem reasonable, logical, that if we're supposed to love our, en- our neighbors, then we should hate our enemies. And so for centuries, this is what the teachers of, of, the, of, the, of the Israelites, what they, how they taught them to live. This was the ethic of the day. And then Jesus comes along and he turns their understanding of the scriptures upside down. And he says, you, you have read to love your neighbors. You have heard to hate your enemies. But what I tell you, my word is, love your enemies. G.K. Chesterton says that Jesus tells us to love our neighbors and our enemies because usually they're the same people. Am I right? But we have to understand what Jesus does and doesn't mean by love, right? Because Jesus, what Jesus isn't talking about is a warm feeling towards someone. That's what we think of when we think of love. Tim Mackey is a, a phenomenal teacher. He founded and helps teach with a, a, an organization called The Bible Project. Uh, you can find it at thebibleproject.com. Uh, we use it for a lot of our, our, our things happening, our groups, our courses around here as a great resource for understanding the Bible. And he has some teaching on this uh, that, that it was really helpful for me as I was trying to understand what Jesus was talking about here. And he explains that, the, that Jesus was not telling his followers to do nothing when they're wrong. There is a response that is necessary, but it's a response motivated by love and not hate. The kind of love that Jesus is talking about is an active and a powerful one. We think of love as an emotion. We think of love as this thing that happens to us, this warm feeling that comes over us. So it's an emotion and it's a passive. But whenever we see Jesus talking about love, what he's usually talking about is a different kind of love. It's a love that, that, that we take on a certain attitude. We, ha- we have a mindset. And it, then it results in an action toward the kindness and the good of the person that we are loving. And so we are, Jesus is asking us to choose to view this person differently, to choose to see them the way God sees them, and to choose to act toward them in a way that actually blesses them. He's telling us love is a choice that you make, not a warm feeling that happens to you. So this is not a passive love. It's a powerful one because this love has the ability to transform people far more than hatred ever could. This is actually good news for you and me. Because if there's something that's hard, it would be to generate warm fuzzies toward the people who, who do harm to us. And so Jesus is actually giving us something that's possible. He's saying, he's saying, choose to see these people the way God sees them. That's how we love them. But that raises an even bigger question for us in Jesus. It's the question of why. <laughs> why, Jesus? Why? Even if I could do that, why should I? Why should we love our enemies? Here's why. 
because it will go better for you if you do. Hatred will only result in certain things. And maybe you have things in your life that are, that are proof of that. But Jesus tells us what we need to know, what we are sometimes unwilling to accept, but we need to hear is that when we love our enemies, it actually works out better for us. Here's how Jesus says this back in Luke 6. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? He's saying you're being just like everyone else in the world, even the sinners. Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. And here it is. Pay attention to this. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. And then Jesus finishes the teaching with this, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Why should you love your enemies? Because there is a great reward when you do. And what's this reward? What's the incentive? Why should we do this unbelievably hard and, and confusing and maybe nonsensical thing? to love our enemies? Well, there's actually three parts to this, this reward. One, that when we love our enemies, when you love your enemies, you remind yourself how God loves you. Psalm 145, eight through nine. This was written by David uh, centuries before. David, who had his own share of enemies, but he writes in Psalm 145, the Lord is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger and he's rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. If you, if you believe in God, then this verse tells us who the God is that we believe in. That God is gracious, that he's compassionate, that he's actually slow to anger with us. And he's rich in love and good to all. If you don't believe in God, or if you're wondering if you believe in God, this is the God that you, that you hope exists. A God who is defined by his goodness. And maybe what makes it so hard to believe that this God exists is because we know that this isn't the kind of God that we deserve. This is what we looked at last week in Jesus' teaching on the parable of the Good Samaritan. This parable isn't so much about, uh, about how we should love others as much as it is a picture of how we've been loved by God. And the most striking thing about this, this parable isn't just the generosity, this radical, sacrificial generosity that the, the, of the Samaritan's love. I think the most striking thing is that the Samaritan was the very enemy of the person he chose to love. He wasn't generating a warm emotion for his enemy on the side of the road. Maybe they didn't even cease to be enemies. But he was embracing an attitude and an action to seek the best for his enemy. It says, Paul writes in Romans 5, this is how God demonstrates his own love for us like this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here's what this means. It means that every enemy in your life is an opportunity to remember how God sees you and loves you. That your enemies then are not a punishment from God. They aren't an obstacle to the life that you want for yourself. They actually, as author, as author Walter Wink says, your enemies are a gift. Here's how, here's how Walter Wink describes this. He says, this is the gift our, gift our enemy may be able to bring us, to see aspects of ourselves that we cannot discover any other way than through our enemies. 
Our friends seldom tell us, tell us these things. They are our friends precisely because they are able to overlook or ignore this part of us. The enemy is thus not merely a hurdle to be leaped on the way to God. The enemy can be the way to God. We cannot come to terms with our shadow except through our enemies. We have almost no other access to these unacceptable parts of ourselves that need redeeming except through the mirror that our enemies hold up to us. This is the gift of our enemies. Why should you love your enemies? Because you actually remind yourself of how God loves you. This is the great reward, one of the great rewards that loving our enemies gives us. But there's another one too. When you love your enemies, you reveal to your enemy how God sees them. Jesus says that when you love your enemies, I don't know if you caught this, you will be children of the Most High. The sense is not that when you love your enemies, will you then become the children of the Most High. You already are a child of the Most High. But when you love your enemies, you are revealing this to others. You're making it known. In other words, you will become a picture to your enemy and all those who are watching you of what God is like. As the disciple John says, God is love. He is, his most known characteristic is love. He's generous to a fault. So, so love, not just love, but love of enemies should be the most defining, most known characteristic of all of those who are his children. See, when we hate something, over time that hatred does more damage to our own selves than it could ever do to the person that we hate. We want to get away from them. So we use our hatred to create a wall between us and that person that we hate. But here's what any therapist will tell you is that our hatred of that person actually binds us to that person. It chains us. It attaches us to that person. And we can't get away from them. This is what I was experiencing the whole rest of our camping trip. I, was doing, I didn't see that guy once again. I saw his feet under the camper because I checked to see if he was outside or not. But, but I was thinking about him all the time. He was with me all the time. And it was my, my hatred of him that was keeping me attached to them. But here's the other thing that, that hate does. It reduces our enemy to the very thing that they did to us. Hatred dehumanizes a person. It takes this very complex individual who, who themselves is full of their own stories and experiences, things that we may or may not know about them, their life story, their family situation, their health condition, what kind of day they've had. And it reduces them to one moment or act. So I had reduced this guy to what he had said to my kids or what my kids had said he said to them, right? But I also reduced myself to the exact opposite of that guy. I was right. He was wrong. That's what we do when we hate. In his own sermon entitled, Love Your Enemies, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said in a way that only he could because of the way his life and his movement embodied these words, he said, hatred paralyzes life, but love releases it. Hatred confuses life, love harmonizes it. Hatred darkens life, love illuminates it. And that's why for him, he decided, I have decided to stick with love, for hate is too great a burden to bear. And this is what frustrated so many people about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and, and, and his movement, is that he either was, was not loud and active enough, that he wasn't violent 
enough on one hand. They said, we need, to, we need to harbor hate. We need to get back. We need to take revenge. On one side, they were dissatisfied because he had a message of nonviolence. And on the other side, there was people who were saying, you just don't do anything. You should just take it. We should, you should just, you know. He was choosing the harder path. He was embodying for all of us the way of love. There's one more aspect of this reward for loving our enemy. You refocus on who your real enemy is. Sometimes we forget this. In all of our thinking of the, the people in our life who get in our way, the enemies that we all have, Jesus wants to know that whoever you think your enemy is, whoever that person is that has gotten in your way, who's talked bad about you, who thinks less of you, or who's made your life harder, they aren't your real enemy. No matter what those people have said or done to you, Jesus wants us to know that there is an enemy, but it's not them. If we go back to John 10, this verse that we started this message off with, we read the second part of this verse earlier, but look at the first part of this verse. The thief, the enemy, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they, that you and I may have life and have it to the full. Jesus says there's an enemy in this world, but it's not it's not who you think it is. There's an enemy who wants to take everything from you that Jesus gives. And this enemy knows that he can do so. He knows that he can do so simply by distracting us and deceiving us into thinking that the people who oppose us are our enemies. Because this enemy knows that we can spend a lifetime holding on to our hatred of other people. See, when we stay stuck in our grudges and our hurt and our attempts at revenge, or when we try and bury those things so we don't have to deal with them, we're actually keeping ourselves from experiencing all of the good things that Jesus came to give us, all of the joy, all of the peace, all of the purpose and the satisfaction that Jesus came to give us. And the enemy in this world, the capital E enemy in this world knows that. And he will confuse us into thinking that it's the people in our families or our workplaces or our city or in the world when that's not the case at all. Those are people who have been made in the image of God. Those are people who have been loved by God. Those are gifts who are there to remind you and I of just how much God loves us. But our enemy would love to deceive us and to distract us with hate. And if there was someone, if there was a person who had reason to hold on to his hate of the people who hurt him and hated him, it was Jesus. Yet while hanging on the cross that his enemies put him on, Jesus prayed for his enemies saying, Lord, would you forgive them? For they know not what they do. He prayed that for you and I. He did so because he is a God of compassion and mercy and goodness to all. So before we go, what I want to do is just to take a moment to do what Jesus did. As Jesus hung on that cross, he lived out the very words that he had taught in Luke 6. He prayed for his enemies. And I want us, as hard as it may feel, to do the same thing. Because the greatest way for us to free ourselves from the bondage of hate is to pray for those people that we have hatred for. And maybe you don't have hatred. Maybe you're just annoyed or you're bitter or they rub you the wrong way. But there, 
they're not stealing something from you, but the way that you see them is. And so what we should do is to pray for these people until they aren't your enemies anymore. And that only happens when God does something in our hearts so that, so that you can see them in love and not in hate. And that doesn't happen in a moment. It takes time. But I want to help us start that journey now. So I'd love for you, if you would, would you stand as we come before God together? You can bow your heads, you close your eyes, whatever's comfortable for you right now. And for those of you who would be willing, one of the ways that we can bring ourselves into God's presence and add meaning to the prayers and words that we offer him is to just let our body, our physical posture kind of reflect the attitude of our hearts. And so just to hold our hands out like this, just with our palms open as if to say, God, the, the, the people that I have been clinging through and hatred and bitterness and thoughts of revenge, I let go of. And instead of holding on to them in hate, I offer them up to you in love. And I acknowledge that this is a hard thing to do, but would you right now, would you just think of the person that maybe you thought of at the beginning of this message, the enemies that you have in your life? Would you name them before God? And maybe that's all you can do. That's fine. Just name them. Lord, we name the people who've hurt us, who've done things to us. We pray for the people who have wronged us. And as hard as it may be for us to do so, we know that you love every one of these people so deeply. So we pray for their best, God. We pray for their well-being. We pray, we pray that they would experience your love and your mercy. We pray that they would experience your loving kindness, that they would know you to be a God who is good to all. And we pray this as hard as it may be. We pray this because of Jesus, how you prayed this for us. That even while we were your enemy, you never stopped loving us. You never stopped praying for us. It's because of all that you, that you wanted for us. As much as we long for the good life, you long for it for us even more. You long with our lives to be filled with your love and presence and especially the freedom that you offer us. Through your death on a cross, a death that we caused, you freed us from our sin. But Lord, you know our hearts and the bitterness and the anger, the revenge that can live there. We want to be free of that. So Lord, I pray for every single person here, would they be free of the hurt that their enemies have caused? We don't want to minimize these things because they're real. They've had their effects on us but would you free us of the anger, of the sadness? Lord, help us not to live there. Would your love and power and peace meet us here and now? And would you do this, Lord, so that we could focus on who our real enemy in this world is, an enemy who would love to distract us with the people around us. But his power is a power that has no power against yours. And we pray that we can live in your power, in the power of your love. The power of your love that held you to that cross. It, it wasn't the evil of this world, the revenge that people were taking out on you. What held you there was your love for us. What allowed you to conquer death from that grave was your love for us. And there is nothing more powerful in this world than a love like yours. 
So help us to live in the power of that love. And friends, if these are things you pray for or need in your life, could you just say to yourself and to God, amen? Amen. Amen.